It's always a pleasure to have Pat McIntosh with us. We've enjoyed him down through the years and, and appreciate his work that he's doing at Brown Trail School of Preaching. And uh, got one of his students with us tonight. Uh, he needs to hear the story. I'll tell him before he, Pat tells it. I mean, most of, a lot of you have already heard it, but it, it's always worth telling again. Pat and I uh, went to the same universities together. Uh, I think we taught in three universities and never changed campus once. Uh, <clears throat> carried three different names from one time to another. But what is most important about us is I first met him when we graduated. Mine was a master's and his was a doctorate. And we met because of our names. <laughs> we stood right behind each other in line. Uh, <clears throat> then we had some classes together. And there was one class that we had in we were discussing with the professor about some material that another professor had written, and we were disagreeing with him a little bit on that, very much so. And after lunch, the whole class got an invitation to go to the president of the university and have a discussion with him. Uh, so Pat and I got to go to the principal's office and spent some time there discussing what had taken place. And as we've talked over the years, down through the years, neither one of us have changed our position. Uh, we both believe what we said and how we said it was appropriate and, and right, but it was just one of those things that that kind of stays with us and seems to follow us. I've got to say that because last week David Recton accused me that when I got here, the preachers in Dallas quit meeting. So, uh, so I don't know. So, uh, you got to watch who we're bringing in because we have some associations for one reason or another. But we're always delighted to have Patrick with us. He's going to be speaking on our, the theme of the future Christian home, and he'll be talking on the topic of training children to be leaders. We encourage you to give your attention to Pat as he brings the lesson to us this evening. It is always a pleasure to be able to come here and to visit. Uh, it's hard to feel like a visitor at some of these places where uh, you're there almost as often. Uh, excuse me just a minute. i got a, this uh, newfangled technology. If you don't hold your mouth just right. Uh, it, it, it's hard to feel like a visitor when you go someplace regularly uh, to speak. It's always good to see David uh, and his sweet wife. As David said, we were at Southern Christian for the longest time, and then at Regions University very briefly, and then Amridge University, and that's three names for the same school. They changed down through the years. They changed to Regions. Regions Bank took offense. Uh, at that, and so they changed the name one more time. Uh, but as uh, as he said, we we did meet on that understanding, uh, misunderstanding. Well, not misunderstanding. I didn't misunderstand what the teacher said at all. That's what the problem was. Uh, when someone challenges the inspiration of Genesis chapters one through eleven, you have to raise your hand and say, "Excuse me, uh, let's wait a minute." It's good to see Michael. Uh, I haven't seen Michael in a long time. 
Uh, I saw the top of his head a lot when we were taking our, our classes through Zoom uh, this last quarter. He must have been in a really comfortable chair. Um, but uh, Michael is doing a good job with us. Uh, he's uh, looking forward to having him in Isaiah uh, this quarter. We'll have that class on Mondays and Wednesdays. Uh, going to be interesting to cover 66 chapters in 10 weeks, but we've had tougher assignments than that. I appreciate so much the topic, and when I first heard the title, I thought, thank you, David. Uh, and then as I got deeper and deeper into it, I thought, well, thanks a lot, David. <laughs> Because when we start looking at this, if you were to look only at that topic, there is a scarcity of material out there. And as I worked through the lesson, I realized why that was the case. Because this is going to be a very generic lesson on the father's responsibility to raise the children. Because that does lie at the very core of that topic. And then we'll apply that by looking at leadership being a group of things that are involved in preparing our children to be Christians and to help prepare them for eternal life. There are numerous aspects portrayed in the scriptures with differing levels of emphasis that are given to each one. For example, the Bible has a great many things to say about family and about the roles that are played in that family and the responsibility of the individuals to fulfill the role that God has established in the family setting. In that family relationship, fathers are the head of the home. Please realize we are talking ideals here. I know very well that there are homes where only the wife is a Christian. And that's a very difficult situation, and I have so much respect for women in that situation who sees the leadership in a role that was not designed for them specifically. But if there's no father there, and so I'm glad to see those mothers taking those children to services, and I'm glad to see those mothers equipping their children to do Numerous things. When we look at an example of Timothy here in just a few moments, the leading figures in his wife were women as far as his leadership capabilities. And he was Paul's right hand for such a long time. Children are to respect and honor their parents. Oh, we could stay right there all night tonight when we see what's going on in society today. For a year, I was working part time. Was, I wasn't even working part time at Brown Trail at that time. Uh, I decided that I was going to help our income a little bit. My wife was teaching fourth grade at Santa Fe Elementary there in Cleburne, and I decided that I would substitute teach. And it's interesting, that was a part time job that turned into a full time job really quickly. Um, I was substituting in. A couple of elementary schools, one high school, one junior high for one day. I swore I'd never go back. Uh, the high school, believe it or not, that I substituted in, 
still believed in corporal punishment. The principal had a board and would use it. And interestingly enough, I was able to stay there in high school. Uh, My understanding in the state of Texas is you're allowed to do so if you want to. It's your choice. But so many have opted out, including Cleburne. But what I saw in many of those classes was a total disrespect for teachers. And I mean belligerent, in your face, bowing up at the teacher, looking at a teacher and saying no. And I just cringe because if I would have done that, after I picked myself up, I would have said, yes, ma'am. And I would have picked myself up until I said, yes, ma'am. But the more that I thought about that, the more that I realized the problem wasn't between student and teacher. The problem was between child and authority. Those same children that talk to the teacher that way talk to the parents that way. And so if they don't respect the parents and don't listen to the parents, why are they going to listen to me as a teacher? I'm going kind of a roundabout way, but this is still at the very core of what we're talking about. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Carry that understanding of parents teaching their children, father taking the leadership role, and children having respect and honor for their teachers. Oh, it does my heart so good to have a young person look up at me and say, yes, sir, because I know that's not born. That's not inborn. That's taught. And that respect is taught and needs to be taught even more. And this is a general truth that is the same for every generation. So in this sense, there's a great need in our day for fathers and mothers to live up to their God-given task of training children in the way that they should go. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. We're going to look at that passage probably a couple of times tonight. I want us to realize also that is not an ironclad guarantee, Proverbs 22, 6. It's a general statement if both fulfill the roles that they're supposed to. God has provided parental leadership to prepare our children for various things as they face life. We help them in secular education. We help them in their interaction. In social groups, especially with those that we might see as different. I'm working on a lesson right now on racism for Granbury Street there in Cleburne here in the next few weeks. And I'm sorry, but the world's gone nuts. (laughs) Things have just gotten completely out of control as it relates to thoughts on one side or the other of a lot of the racism. And what I'm sadly seeing is brethren at each other's throats. We are as divided as we've ever been on a topic as it relates to some of those things. But we need to prepare our children for those things. Now, I'm an army brat. I went to seven different schools in 12 years. And England was one of those. And so race, color, Ethnic origin, that was not really a big deal in the military because we were around those people all the time. And it was just an accepted form of life. When we went to England, we were the strangers. 
And we were the foreigners. We were the ones that spoke with a funny accent. Not the locals. I've done mission work for years. I've taken my children on mission trips. And it's a major part of our work to help them in those areas. Another area in which we are to help prepare our children, I'm afraid is being used as a babysitter far too often today, and that's the internet and social media. Great tools. Great benefit. I was just telling David, I just uh, upgraded uh, a Bible program called Accordance uh, to, to a Greek and Hebrew uh, discoverer. Uh, level, And it's amazing what you can do with computers. I'm a hard copy kind of guy. David and I were talking about that. I've got a big library. And I still prefer to have four or five books stacked up on the corner of my desk with a ruler or a piece of paper stuck in there to mark the place for me to move through. I am, though, learning the benefit of having electronic books that we can search and it can do all that background work for us. We now have Greek and Hebrew software that will parse all of our words for us, won't they, Michael? But I bet Kenny doesn't let you use it in class. No. Exactly. Kevin won't either. But we live in an age where we have so much information at our fingertips. And in so many areas, that's a good thing. But any good thing can be abused. And sadly, it would make your hair stand on end if you're like me, what's not falling out. When you see how easy it is to get to various porn sites and things such as this today. Even sometimes as simple as just marking an X on a spot that says, yes, I'm 18. So we have to caution. Here's what I'm saying. It's a good tool. And I've got a section of this lesson we'll talk about a little bit later where there's tools that we can use But there's tools we can't depend upon that will not do our job of raising our children. We can use the tools to do so. Well, the lesson that we have for today involves training our children to be leaders. God's plan is for every congregation of the Lord's church to be scripturally organized. Now, I know that there are some that simply do not do so. There may be too small enough where there's not enough men qualified to serve in that capacity. But every congregation needs to be working toward being scripturally organized with elders, deacons, and we can go from there as that was God's plan. Remember as you read the book of Titus, he was left to appoint elders in every church. The, the, the model that God prescribed for congregations is that very thing. Those are our spiritual leaders today. And some struggle with it, but we do not have a pastor system in the Lord's church today as it relates to preacher authority. We need to be working through that. But as we look around us today, as you look around yourselves in this congregation, I think there's a question that needs to always be on our mind. And that is, where are we going to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years? Who's going to be our elders at that time? Who's going to be serving as our Bible class teachers? 
or any other of the works that we are involved in. What I'm saying is we need to be planning for the future. And asking ourselves these questions. And the answer is probably somebody sitting in this auditorium right now. You may have a child. You may have a grandchild. That one day may be an elder or a deacon at this congregation. What I want us to begin to realize is it's not inborn in them to serve in that capacity. That's part of the training that we as parents have to do. As it helps to prepare them for those tasks. Well, with these doctrinal areas, raising children, again, being the foundation we're looking at, there are other doctrinal issues and needs that are kind of intertwined into that. And today we want to throw leadership into that mix because you can't separate it from the responsibility that we have, the role we have as being leaders in the home. So we want to look at some very basic issues and then make application toward that as we move along. So number one, what does the Bible say about fatherhood? What is a father? Well, we need fathers who will make proper choices and then help to implement those things in their children's lives. We see Lot standing as an example of a poor choice. And how that impacted his society. Now from where he was standing at the time. And the criteria that he was using in his mind. For choosing which way he wanted to go. Remember Abraham stepped back. And said Lot you choose. And I'll take the other one. So there was no pressure. It wasn't what was left over. But he had to work through his mind a criteria for selecting the spot that he wanted. And he thought he had found a good one. But maybe he didn't think it through far enough. Because you see it was ideal for raising the sheep and such as he was raising. Well grassed plains, a lot of water, a lot of room. That would be a sheep breeder's paradise, or so it seemed on the surface. But this was a poor choice that not only affected Lot, it also impacted his entire family. Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 through 13. We're not going to take the time to read that. If you're taking notes, jot that down and look yourself. And you'll see about Sodom and Gomorrah. But I want us to see how it was defined. If, if Lot was tormented day by day by wickedness. And 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 7 through 8 tells us that's exactly what happened. Every single day he was tormented by the wickedness around him. Do we think that the wife and the children were immune from those things? What did they hear? What did they see? What kind of depravity were they confronted with? You remember when the strangers came? Every male in town came and asked to be able to know those men sexually. This is not just a few. This is not just the bad part of town. Every town's got one. <laughs> but everybody was wrapped up in this. It was indeed a horrible place 
for him to be. Second Peter chapter two, verses seven through eight said it tormented his righteousness, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. What a place to raise a family. Sodom. Eli stands as another example of a father who did not provide direction and leadership in the home. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever. Notice, for the iniquity which he knows. Because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Who was running things in Eli's house? Apparently his kids were. Apparently they were directing themselves as to where they needed to go. And brethren, to fail to restrain is to fail to teach. Is exactly what that text tells us. We live in a very permissive society today. Many grow up with little or no guidance. And believe it or not, there are many children who have few, if any, boundaries in their lives. Some children never hear the word no in their home. And you can tell them when you see them. (laughs) You can tell them when they start talking. You can see it in their faces. In some cases, discipline, and I'm talking about whatever form of discipline you choose... We chose spanking. If you've got another method that works, go for it. But if there is no discipline whatsoever, if it's non-existent in the homes, then let's not be surprised where our children go as they get older and develop. In these two Old Testament cases that we just examined, we saw fathers falling down on the guidance and leadership that is so direly needed in the raising of children. But now let's get a little bit more specific. Remember that we are talking about proper leadership in a very general way. But let's move towards specifics as it relates to their future years in the church. I was asked by an elder years back, To deal with the topic, why are we losing our children when they go to college? He didn't appreciate the answer. I want to mention a book to you. It's a denominational writer, but it's the best I've seen on this topic. And it's called Already Gone. Brethren, we don't lose our children when they go to college. They're already gone when they leave. And he shows so many statistics as it relates to these kiddos. It's not some magic formula that all of a sudden they're exposed to this at college. Something wasn't done at home to help these things. Now, I know I'm coming down hard here. I do want to qualify this. We are all free moral agents. And I'll say this again here in just a little bit. But you can do the best job Capable, and your children can still reject you because they are free moral agents as well. They will choose which they want to go. Our prayer is 
that we provide the guidance that they need and they hold to the lessons that they've been taught and allow those things to help them formulate a better life as they get older. Second point, we must understand the importance of starting at an early age with our kiddos because I guarantee you they begin learning at an early age. It's fun to watch. It's fascinating to watch. Let's use the example of working in concrete. Before I decided that I wanted to go to preaching school, before I got married, matter of fact, before I even left home, I grew up out in Eden, Texas, out between Brady and San Angelo. And I was working for a carpentry crew there. It was a father and son. We had a three-man crew. And we did it all. And I can remember the first time that we poured the slab for a home. This was a a masterpiece. I've I've never seen a home like this as far as having a part in it. It was a retired state engineer. And he bought some land in Junction, Texas. Beautiful, beautiful place. And he built about a 6,500 square foot home for he and his wife. (laughs) Everything was cedar. Even the two-befores. Even the decking, plywood was cedar plywood. I hated seeing him paint that place a sick-looking yellow green, covering up all that beautiful cedar. But I digress. We were going to pour the slab, and so we did what everybody does as I learned the process. We got the ground level. If you're going to have a level house, it has to be sitting on level ground to start out. If you want your slab to be level, then your ground needs to be level when you start. And so we worked that up. We got the ground nice and level. And then we started taking two by twelves, two by sixes, two by eights, and began setting up the forms for that concrete slab. We took our steel rods. That's what we used rather than just netting. We had steel rods all through that concrete. That was all set. And then the day the concrete truck showed up. And I was told, stay with it. We've got to get after it. And I found out soon why. When that concrete was poured into that form, it was nice and soft and wet. But it was summertime. Even in the morning, it was already bumping up around 100 degrees. And before long, that concrete became harder and harder to work with because it got drier and drier, and it began to set the longer that it was there, to the point that we even had to run a sprinkler one night to keep it wet enough that we could come back and work it. You see, once you pour that concrete, you have a limited amount of time to get it finished, or it's going to set up. Brethren, our children are just like that concrete. When we have them at that early age, they're soft, they're pliable. They're sponges as it relates to information. Oh, I love to watch the little ones learn. One of, one of Michael's classmates, Scott Dukowski and his wife Sarah, have two precious little girls and one of them was learning to read over the summer and she's moved up to being able to read books and I love seeing kids at that age where they're wanting so much to learn. You remember back to your kids 
I remember because I've been reminded what I was like. I could ask the question, why, an awful lot every day. Why, Mama? Why, Daddy? Looking for information. As fathers, we need to use those early years before things have an adverse impact on our children while they're setting up in that form. At a young age, our children are capable of learning so many things, songs, lessons, biblical characters. Every Sunday morning, our preacher, John Hafner, John came down and spoke, I think, already here. Uh, He has... Basically, few packers. They take the children into another room. Uh, it's probably not going on now with the, with the with the COVID stuff that we're looking at. But every Sunday morning, they were learning a new song or they were learning a Bible story. And those kids are sitting on the edges of their seats and they're thrilled with the learning. Like a sponge, they can soak up information all day. Isn't that great? But brethren, what's great can also be a very difficult situation because they can learn anything from anywhere at that age as well. They may hear you talking about the elders one day as you're driving home from services. They may hear you having roast preacher for lunch over something he said that morning. They may hear you say something disparaging about a Bible class teacher or another member in the congregation. Those little ears are always listening. And they hear. And they can be impacted. It concerns me, again, when I see parents using technology, the internet, as a babysitter. They're sitting down in front of the TV. They're quiet. Mom or whoever can go and do whatever they want to do. And they really have no idea what is going through their minds. Eventually, character is formed and changes to improper character then becomes more difficult. Because you see, once that character gets set like concrete, it's hard to undo you mess up concrete, you've got to get a jackhammer and start again. <laughs> you, get, you can have a do-over with concrete. But you may not get a do-over with a child. A good example is children who have been raised in an ungodly atmosphere. Working with a young child... You can see great opportunity as character traits might not be set in stone. One of the reasons that I love teaching is I always love those who want to learn. And that includes men Michael's age and others. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, that's not an ironclad guarantee. If you train as you should and they heed as they should, then that's going to take because it's going to be part of their character later on. Another passage to jot down. Time's going to get away from me. Jot down Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Another good book to study about families, Proverbs. It's filled 
with good examples. We must understand that spiritual development doesn't just happen. We have to plan for it. Parents, if you have younger children, this is an exciting time in your life. You're going to see many things as they develop both mentally and physically. At the same time, we are so busy today. We can be so consumed with things, many of them important, that we fail to seize the day as it relates to help to form the character of our children. If we are too busy to help our children, we're too busy. Bottom line. It goes without saying that we should all be consumed with helping our children get to heaven. That's my number one job as a Christian husband and father. I struggle with people who want to marry somebody who's not a Christian. Because I've got a question that I often ask. Why would you want to marry somebody that's not going to help you get to heaven? I found a precious wife. We're walking advertisement for Vacation Bible School because that's where I met her. And I was watching her, and I saw how she dealt with the little kiddos that was in her class. And I said, that's going to make a good mother. We were engaged a month later and married six months later. And this year, we would have been married 40 years, this December. And I see a lot of heads nodding out there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're sharing the same. But we must also have a desire to help them fill a much needed role in the congregational setting in the years to come. We need to understand the importance of practicing what we preach. Because they're going to learn as much by watching us as they do hearing us in what we say. Again, if they hear us having roast elder, then that might impact them. Why would they possibly want to be an elder if they hear you talking about them in that fashion and that capacity? Thirdly. We must grasp the importance of parental influence in the lives of our children and in their future development. I made a joke the other day that one of the best things that's happened to me regarding Facebook, social media, is I discovered that my mouse has a scroll wheel. I can just roll that wheel down and roll past that stuff that I know is going to make me so angry I can't see straight. And that's the healthiest thing that I've done lately. But I came across a book, and this was from an article that Wayne Jackson wrote, by the way. And the woman's name is Judith Rich Harris. And she wrote a book entitled The Nurture. Assumption. Please don't let that part of the title fool you. (laughs) Because she shows herself really quick in here in just a moment. In that book, she addressed a question. Do parents have any important long-term effects on the development of their children? 
Are you ready for this? She said, no, they do not. She does not believe that. Listen to the subtitle. This is a book with a title about that long in three lines. Okay? The first subtitle is, Why Children Turn Out the Way They Do. And, Parents Matter Less Than You May Think. And Peers Matter More. I'm not ordering that book. Uh, I don't, it wouldn't make it. (laughs) It would get destroyed fairly quickly if I was to read through that. I want you to listen what the publishers said about this book. With eloquence and wit, Judith Harris explains why parents have little power to determine the sort of people their children become. If that is the expert in the field, is it any wonder our children are where they are in a very general hour, our society? Doesn't surprise me in the least. If it is the case that external areas influence children more than parents, then we must see that parents have fallen down on their responsibility. If the parents have simply pushed their kids over to something else to impact them, they've failed in their job. They've abdicated their authority and their role, and they're having somebody else or something else raise their children. Brethren, the Bible presents a much different viewpoint. On our children. Let's look at a couple of biblical examples of good and powerful parental influence. First of all, Abraham. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. Notice what's said of him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. That was indeed the patriarchal dispensation. The patriarchal dispensation began in the garden. How do we know that Cain and Abel's sacrifice was wrong? Because they had been taught. They had been taught what was acceptable. Abel provided an appropriate sacrifice. Cain did not. One was the faith. One was not. That's not inherently sensed. It was taught by the patriarch, the head of that household. Abraham was also in the patriarchal system. Considered to be one of the great patriarchs. His job was telling his family what God told him to tell them. Joshua, another powerful figure, chose to lead the people into the promised land. Remember when the 12 spies were sent into the land? They're in the book of Numbers. And, and, and they came back holding a cluster of grapes on a pole, dragging the ground between them. And they said, the land is everything that God said it would be, but we can't take it. That was the faithless report of the 10 faithless spies. God didn't lie. That land is indeed fruitful, but we can't have it because there's grasshoppers, there's giants there. And we are as grasshoppers 
in their sight. I have a sermon that I do called the Grasshopper Complex. Because we do that an awful lot today. We look at something and we say, I can't do it. We can't do it. Joshua 24, 15 is probably the most often quoted verse in that book. And if if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But here it comes. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why were he and Caleb selected to take God's people into the promised land? Because uh, Moses had sinned. There we go. I get Moses and Noah mixed up an awful lot. Just look at the gray hair. Moses was not allowed to go in. He got to see it. And Joshua and Caleb had manifested leadership qualities And they went in. And this last section of Joshua 24 indicates his qualifications for that role. As for me and my house, he knew he couldn't make that decision for any other adult. All he could say is, this is what my house is going to do. But notice the head of the household leadership, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But we also see an example of the progression of evil in a family setting. Ahab and Jezebel were two of the most wicked people that ever drew a breath. Oh, I love Don Simpson so much, and I hated to hear that Brother Don passed away some time back. But he called Jezebel the wickedest totus that ever squatted on a throne. <laughs> My thought was, Don, what do you really think of her? But she was vile. But not only were Ahab and Jezebel vile, Athaliah, their daughter, was as well. But it doesn't stop there. Notice what is said of her son, Ahaziah, in 2 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 3. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. Notice why. For his mother advised him to do wickedly. She couldn't push that off on anybody else. But don't tell me that a parent does not impact the spiritual well-being of a child. When we see the negative connotation, I've got to move. On the flip side. Again, we're not going to take the time to read this. I know I'm burning up a lot of time. Note Timothy as to how he was influenced. Passages to read are 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 13 to 15. There were two precious women and his wife, a grandmother and a mother. Nothing is said in essence of his dad that I can recall. But these two women had a major impact. And here was one that Paul was glad to call his son in the faith. And as you read these letters, you see that Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. He was groomed to fulfill that role. 
by these two precious women. So as we begin to pull this all together and wind this up, we need to see the divine imperative of parental responsibility. How about a couple of quotes that we're probably familiar with? How about this one? As the twig is bent, so grows the tree. One a little more familiar is the apple doesn't far fall from the tree. We understand exactly what those mean. Philosopher John Locke said this. Parents wonder why the streams are bitter when they themselves have poisoned the fountain. Wow. (laughs) That's stout. That's harsh. What have they heard from those who are to be role models in their lives? A couple of passages that we've looked at bear another look. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, that's an ideal. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. David and I were talking about translations just before we started this evening. The New King James there uses the word training. That's the version that I use. But the ASV has a word that I like even better. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, the Greek word that is used there does carry the idea of training. But that doesn't take it far enough. I believe nurture does. Because nurture has the idea of focus. It has the idea of effort. It has the idea of intent. Deciding, pushing, intending to train our children. Now, we need to be careful here, and this may get a little uncomfortable. There are many tools available to use in fulfilling our responsibility as parents who are nurturing their children. We can use a public school system. After just a little while, we homeschooled our kids, and we have more time. I'll tell you about it. We were were, were uh, very much right to do so where we were, and what was going on. But I know a lot of good children that have been raised in the public school system. Um, you can use various internet sources. A lot of learning tools out there, a lot of good software, a lot of good free stuff that you can use. And there's a lot of other available tools, but please emphasize the word tools, because that's what they are. They're not a replacement for our efforts. It's something that we still take the responsibility with. As it relates to their spiritual education, we have Bible classes. We have sermons. And oh, I hope it's true that that's not the only Bible they get. Because it's not the Bible class teacher's job to do your job. (laughs) It's not the preacher's job to raise your kids. But each will gladly help you. And be used as a tool in that capacity. We cannot put the responsibility of educating and training our children on somebody else. As David said, I 
earned a doctorate of ministry at Amridge University. And I wrote a dissertation that was heavily impacted by a man named Robert Wagner. Brother Wagner was one of our brotherhood gurus on humanism. When humanism was the philosophy of the day, humanism has kind of morphed into postmodernism, which is about to morph into something else because even true postmodernism is not true anymore today. Not everybody's ideas have equal footing in society today. Just try as a Christian to speak up and see what happens. See how tolerantly you're accepted (laughs) with your statements about God and his word. But in the doctrine of ministry, ministry was the focus. And so my dissertation was about a research project. And my question was, is humanism taught in the public school system in junior high and high school in Stephenville, Texas? As I was working on that dissertation, that's where we were. I was doing mission work for Bear Valley. I had an office there, and I was finishing up my dissertation. And what that involved was a two-step process. First of all, I went to the school system, to the junior high and the high school, and I talked to principals and superintendents. I told them what I was doing, and I asked them for history, biology, and health textbooks. Now it's a long story on how a school determines what they use and much of it is based on funds if you want to choose your own material. The state basically gives you five. The state's going to pay for it. They give you five choices from liberal to eh, moderate. (laughs) And if you want them to pay for it, then that's what you're doing. That's what Stephenville did. It was a large enough school system they could not have afforded to choose the books they wanted to do. So I was going on the premise that parents in our congregations did not know what their kiddos were learning in class. And so here's how the research played out. I had a pre-test and a post-test, which was exactly the same test. There were 25 or 30 questions on it. The questions ranged anywhere from five to, or the answers from a five to a one, strongly disagree to strongly agree with the statement that's made. And then they had to put a code on there that I did not know. It had to be done blindly. All the instructions they had were they had to put the same code on the other test. And then I had a three-night seminar where I delivered material on humanism, quoting from the textbooks that their kids were taking home. Let that soak in just a minute. Now, as I thought, most of the parents leaned toward the strongly disagree that it was taught. You see, they knew those teachers. They knew those principals and superintendents, and they were good people. It's not what we're talking about. So they disagreed. My whole philosophy of that research was bent that I could move them two points from a five closer to a one with the presentation of that seminar. And then the test they took at the beginning, they took the exact same test after the material. And they moved two and a half points to strongly disagree. Now what made that so powerful is there were five families 
husband and wife that took part. That's a pretty small number to move them two whole points in understanding. And then they were upset. The one they wanted to get upset at was me. (laughs) Because, you see, I brought something to their attention that they weren't comfortable with. And they were made to realize that their kids were hearing things they never knew they were hearing. We have to take an active role in what is coming in to our children's lives. One final note, and the lesson will be yours. Especially as we refer to Proverbs 22.6, we must remember that we are all, including our children, free moral agents. If I've done what I need to do for my children, and my children go off the rails, I don't need to be filled with guilt. Because my children have the right to choose the way they're going to go. I'm not going to mention any names, but we have three children. We have two that are very faithful Christians. And we have another, our middle, that's struggling a little bit with these things. Because, you see, she knows she's living a lifestyle that doesn't match up with what she was taught and how she was raised. I used to feel extreme guilt. What did I do wrong? Where did I fail? And I realize now the only thing that I can do is teach when I have the opportunity and pray for her every day that something happens. We've seen some good signs here lately. We're really excited about that. We're seeing that maybe she's bottomed out. Pray for that as much as any other thing. But as we close... As indicated at the outset, this lesson involves an intermingling of two concepts, raising children and preparing them for leadership. I'm sorry if I've gone over what was intended. The primary focus of the spiritual training for our children is to provide them with training and resources that will aid them in their journey to eternal life. Involved in that training will be the training and encouragement to consider and prepare themselves for the day when they will be faced with an opportunity to serve, even in a leadership role of a congregation. We will go far in our responsibility to give them the tools they need and encourage them to use them to God's glory. I appreciate your attendance and your patience this evening. Whenever I speak, I believe it's appropriate for us to to offer an invitation. This lesson is about leadership. Some principles apply to spiritual growth, and they extend on into eternal life. God has revealed the way for us. Anybody who wants to learn God's way can do so. It's easier than it's ever been. We have some great tools. Brother Rob Whitaker. Uh, is working with the program using some of Bobby Bates' material, some of the easiest material you'll ever teach. And now he's provided a lesson called Does It Matter? 
or he even prevents, presents a DVD to help them work through there. It's easy for us to learn. But what will we do with that information? God has described his love to us so strongly. He's told us numerous times that he loved us. And then he showed us in the greatest way possible that he loved us. In sending his son as a sacrifice that we may have the opportunity to be called his children. It may be that you're not a Christian this evening. Hearing his word, repenting of sins, confessing Christ as Lord, putting him on in baptism. Are the things we must do to become his child. If you don't know what you need to do yet, I'm sure there's somebody here who will be glad to lead you in that discussion. But so many of us have taken that step. Where are we? In our faithful walk. Where are we in our responsibilities? Every once in a while we stumble. Every once in a while we have a hard time. Satan's out there looking for that one little chink in the armor. And sometimes he finds it. He's a master salesman. But I'm so thankful that the blood that Christ shed on the cross did not just cleanse one time. But every time we repent of our sins... Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 tells us that they separate us from God. That blood continues to cleanse as we repent of those sins. You may have brought something with you here tonight. You may have brought a problem with you you need to lay down. A struggle, a burden. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you as we stand and as we sing.